0: An anchor that keeps the soul. The anchor of the soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Not move grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. We talk about Jesus and his impact on the human family, and there are a lot of people that would, I think, emphasize the beauty of Jesus. What was the real beauty of Jesus? Isaiah, some seven centuries before the Lord ever made his entrance into this world, talked about the coming Messiah. In a graphic way, he details the suffering servant. And I really believe that in chapter 53, Isaiah speaks to us about the real beauty. Of the one we call Jesus. I want to begin by just emphasizing the beauty of Jesus. As we think about the beauty of Jesus, let me, I guess, begin by accentuating his appearance, his physical appearance. Here's what Isaiah said beginning in verse one Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. The word comeliness here carries the idea of royalty, wealth, political or social standing. You and I well know that Jesus was not born into royalty, He was not a man of immense wealth, nor was he a person of political or, what we would say, social standing. And yet, Jesus was, by all accounts, a man of royalty. He was the King of kings and Lord of lords. And then Isaiah said, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. I know that there have been a lot of people that have tried to capture the physical appearance of Jesus in paintings, portraits, sketches. And yet, Isaiah said that physically speaking, there was not anything special about him that would have drawn people to him. Jesus was, as you well know, the son of a carpenter. By trade, that's what he was. For most of his life, he spent time outdoors. I think of Jesus as a rugged, hard-working individual. Isaiah here is saying that physically speaking, there's not anything that would have drawn people to him. So what was the attraction? What was it that brought people to Jesus? I think there are some reasons why people follow Jesus. First of all, I think about his message. In Matthew chapters 5 through 7, Jesus delivers what typically is called the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew tells us when he concluded that great sermon, those who were present were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. I suspect to have heard Jesus would have been something. People typically refer to him as the master teacher. The greatest teacher to have ever lived. John said in chapter 7 verse 46 of his gospel narrative that no one ever spoke like this man. Do you remember over in John chapter 6 when many of the people were leaving Jesus in droves the Lord asked the question will you also go away? And the Bible says that Simon Peter spoke up and said Lord to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. The message of Jesus no doubt attracted great numbers of people to him. But then What about his ministry to the people? There were some attributes of Jesus that I think brought people to him. The Bible talks about the great multitudes that followed him. It would have been amazing to see the great caravan of people that followed Jesus from place to place. No doubt there was a lot of talk about the Son of God. Many were trying to identify exactly who he was, and Jesus identified himself as the Messiah, the Son of God. But as I think about his ministry to people, one of the traits that the Scriptures talks about is his compassion. Jesus was a compassionate being. In Mark chapter 1, we read about a man that was a leper who came to Jesus on one occasion, and the Bible says he knelt before him. And he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was moved with compassion. and said, I will be clean. The Lord was a compassionate person. He understood people. He understood what people were going through in life. So he could identify with them. And then there's a second trait that stands out. And that is his closeness to the people. Sometimes we talk about individuals who are somewhat aloof. They really can't identify. I think sometimes about politicians. Individuals that serve our country in Washington. And I know that this is by no means a comprehensive statement, but I think to some degree there are a lot of people that are serving politically on behalf of our country, but they really don't understand people. There, there's a gap between the people, their constituency, and the political office, office itself. In other words, those who are serving in Washington, they don't understand the people. I wonder how many of them know what a gallon of milk cost, a loaf of bread. I mean, we say that's trivial. Is it? I wonder how many of those guys in Washington understand what child care costs. You see, there's a gap. That wasn't the case with Jesus. There was a closeness between Jesus and the people, a connection. Oh, he understood them. The Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, We have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but one who has been tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin. Can Jesus sympathize with what I'm experiencing here on on this planet? Can he understand what I'm going through in life? Yes, he can. Can he empathize with me? Again, yes, he can. There is a closeness. And if you look at the ministry of Jesus, you'll see that a close connection was often demonstrated between him and just the common, ordinary person. The Bible says the common people heard him gladly. There was a closeness between Jesus and the people. And then what about his care? Did Jesus genuinely care about people? You know that he did. I mean, go back and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And look at the vast numbers of people that he encountered on a daily basis. Some were outcast. Some because of their physical disabilities. The leprous man. The Samaritan woman. The woman taken in adultery. I mean, we talk about the genuine care of Jesus. The Bible tells us he cares. In John chapter 11, when Jesus talked about the death of his friend Lazarus, the Bible says that he went to that family. Now I understand he went because he was going to ultimately raise Lazarus from the dead. But I think also Jesus went to that family because he cared about them. He loved them. Underscored by the fact that John would say, Jesus wept. Here's what Peter said, casting all your care on him. Why is that, Peter? Because he cares for you, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. So when I think about what, what was it that attracted people to Jesus, I don't think it was necessarily his physical appearance, but rather I think it was his message and then his ministry. The fact that Jesus genuinely demonstrated compassion Toward people, He was close to people and he cared about people. Those are, those are traits that will draw people to others. And then there's a second thing I want you to see in our study. It has to do with the burden of Jesus. What about the burden of Jesus? The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ bore our sins. Two things here. Number one, Isaiah depicts Jesus as a man of sorrows. And then he describes him as a man of suffering. Pick up with me in verse 3. Here's what Isaiah said. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Physical and mental pain, characteristic of Jesus. Isaiah said, we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Now look at verse 4. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus came to bear the sins of the human family. Inherent in that fact is the realization that Jesus suffered for us. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2, For even hereunto were you called that Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was was guile or deceit found in his mouth. He went on to say, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But he bore our sins in his body on the tree that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. Jesus suffered for us. The Bible says he bore our griefs. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised or crushed for our iniquities. Finally, the Bible says the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The sins of the human family heaped upon the sinless head of the Son of God. Vicariously, Jesus suffered, bled, and died for us. Now here's the question. What about the blessings that we can enjoy through Jesus? Are there blessings Well, listen to what Isaiah said some seven centuries before Jesus came to earth in verse 11. He said, By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Did you know that Jesus came to earth to die for our sins? In Matthew chapter 27, Matthew pictures for us the treatment that Jesus experienced on our behalf. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Paul would say, but God commends his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So in Matthew chapter 27, as you read that narrative of the trial, the ill treatment that Jesus received, the Bible tells us that he was scourged. Did you know that every stripe that was laid upon the back of the Son of God was for you and me? I suspect that Jesus would have been a bloody mess when they finished scourging him the numerous lacerations upon his back and chest and maybe even legs the fact that they beat him to a pulp was for you and me matthew tells us not only was jesus scourged The Bible says they spat upon him. Can you think of anything more humiliating than to be spat upon? And yet, every drop of spit that ran down the face of Jesus, it was for you and me. To think that here were people that would actually spit in the face of the Son of God. The very one that the apostle Peter in the long ago had said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. The one of whom John said he made the world. And yet, he's allowing his own creation to spit in his face. Matthew said not only was he scourged, not only did they spit upon him, they slapped him in the face. Every slap in the face of the Son of God was for you and me. Every time that open palm hit the face of Jesus, it was for us. Jesus willingly suffered all of this for us. And then I think about what Matthew says, as Jesus made his way to Calvary. The Bible says that he fell beneath the weight of the cross as he traveled down the street of Jerusalem, known today as Via Della Rosa. Every step that Jesus made along that street was for you and me. That cross that he fell beneath, that was your cross and mine. Jesus willingly bore that cross to Calvary. Luke said, when they came to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. Imagine if you can that. T-shaped cross being placed on the ground and Jesus lying upon, upon it. And those Roman soldiers taking a spike, possibly six, seven inches in length, and driving that stake or nail through the hands of Jesus. The nail that was driven into that right hand was for you and me. When they took the left hand and nailed that to the cross, it was for you and me. When they took his feet and drove that six or seven inch nail Welding his body to that tree. It was for you and me. The horrific pain. I have said before, the Romans perfected the art of crucifixion. They wanted those who died by crucifixion to suffer immensely. Can you imagine the pain and the heartache that Jesus experienced leading up to the crucifixion and then culminating with them welding his body to that wooden tree? When they erected that cross, The Bible says that people stood before him and they cast insults into his face. They said, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross. If you're the son of God, oh, he was the son of God. Could he have come down from the cross? You know he could have. But he remained on that cross for you and for me. The horrific pain that Jesus experienced on that cross. I'm not sure we'll ever truly fathom. All of the insults that were hurled into his face. The taunts. He endured them. For you and me. What's that say about the love of Jesus? Jesus. The fact that he was willing to fulfill the will of his heavenly Father. And then I think about the cry that came forth from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The hurt that Jesus experienced because for the first time in all of eternity, he was separated from the Father he loved. Why was he separated? Because of you and because of me. You see, Jesus died for me. He died for you. And if we ever miss that, we miss it all. We need to see it from a personal perspective. We need to understand that what kept kept Jesus on that cross was from a personal perspective. His love for me and you. And his desire that we would enjoy fellowship with Almighty God. So yes, Jesus died for us. And the beauty of it is he can deliver us. I want you to know today that you can be saved. You can be saved from every sin. There are a lot of people in our world today, they feel absolutely helpless. And they also feel hopeless. It is as if there is no hope. Amazing the number of people committing suicide in our society. Why do you think that is? I think two reasons. They feel helpless and they feel hopeless. The Bible says that those who are outside of Christ are without hope. And without God in this world. But you need to understand that in Christ, you can be be made whole. Paul said that we are brought near by his blood, Ephesians 2.13. Did you know you can be saved today? That you can leave here well again? What do I mean? When you come to Jesus, believing that he is the Son of God, confessing his name, repenting of all all of your sins, and are immersed in a watery grave of baptism, the Bible says every sin is washed away. On Pentecost Day, can you imagine the hopeless, helpless feeling that many of those people must have felt when they cried out to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What if Peter had said, just no hope? You guys can forget it all. No, he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the remission of your sins. In other words, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. When Saul of Tarsus was confronted by Ananias. Ananias said to Saul, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. You can be saved today. Your sins can be washed away. You can enjoy the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. The Bible says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Every drop of blood was shed for you. Not only can you be saved today, you can be sanctified today. The idea is that God will set you apart from the world unto himself. That you will be a part of his family. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he was writing to many people that had been caught up in what we would say a lifestyle of sin and unrighteousness. But he addressed those people... As having been sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, God had sanctified them, and God was now indwelling in those people. We talk about God indwelling the sanctuary under the Old Testament. The sanctuary where God indwells today is the church. That is the Christian. To know that we can be set apart from the world under God. And that we can live in such a way so that we bring honor and glory to God. And then there's a third thing. You can be secure today. You can be secure in your relationship to the Lord. I want you to leave here today knowing that you're saved. That you're secure. How's that possible? When you do what this book says, that is the Bible, when you follow the precepts that are recorded in this book, then you have the assurance of being what they were in the first century, that is a New Testament Christian. And you can know without a shadow of a doubt that you are saved, that you are a part of the body of Christ, and that you have life eternal. There are a lot of folks in the world today They're looking for a better way, a better lifestyle. They feel insecure. They feel helpless and hopeless. Their lives are filled with anxiety and worry. And yet when you come to Jesus Christ, you can enjoy the peace that passes all understanding. You can enjoy the peace that is known only to his people. I promise you you can leave here today in a secure position. And if you'll live a faithful life in Christ Jesus, the Bible assures you of the crown of life. To know that one day when all of the struggles and trials and tribulations and temptations of life are long since passed, you have that crown that never fades away. That's security. You know, there's only so much we can do to secure our property, Our material objects, spiritually speaking, we can fortify our lives. We can secure them to the point that we know without a shadow of a doubt that if we were to die today, we're home with God. Paul in the long ago said, To live is Christ, to die is gain. To depart and be with Christ, far better. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson. Preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again and to see video archives, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love